0: You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast.
1: Her Money is supported by Fidelity Investments. Together, we're here to empower, educate, and encourage women to start talking about money. Discover more at fidelity.com slash time. Her Money comes to you through PRX. Hi, it's Jean Chatsky. Welcome to Her Money. Welcome to our one year anniversary. I'm so excited. This is Her Money's first birthday, 52nd episode. We could not be more grateful for all of you listeners who have been along with us for this ride. We've just had a terrific time, spoken to so many interesting people. We are know that we're reaching you because we get your tweets and your emails and your feedback. And I got to say, I feel like we're really building something big and something important. And when I say we, it's because this is a group effort. Beth O'Connell, our producer, has been along since the very beginning. Kelly Hultgren, Hayden Field, Charles de Montebello, our Fabulous partners at PRX are wonderful, wonderful sponsors at Fidelity who believed in this when it was just an idea and We're so excited. So more Her Money to come. Please share us with your friends. Please continue to leave us reviews. Please continue to send us your thoughts and your questions and your comments. We love them. And we sat down and started to think, okay, who is the ultimate first birthday guest? Who do we want to sit down with and talk with about life and money and success? And we thought Jen Sincero. Jen Sincero, who is the number one bestselling author of You Are a Badass, How to Stop Doubting Your Greatness and Start Living an Awesome Life. We actually ran into her here at our studio a couple of weeks ago. She was doing the audio book for her new book, which is called you are a badass at making money we'll talk about that in a little bit she was in the next studio recording that and we put our heads together and today she's not in person she's with us on skype from her home in santa fe yes i guess if you're a badass you can be lucky enough to live in santa fe new mexico hey jen welcome to the show
2: Thanks so much for having me. So
1: before we go straight to the topic of money, which happens to be the focus of your new book, You Are a Badass at Making Money, let's just talk about badasses in general. I mean, I love that this book, your original book, is referred to as a self-help book for people who don't want to get caught up in the self-help aisle. What is your definition of a badass?
2: It's somebody who allows themselves the audacity and the means to create whatever life they truly desire, regardless of what everybody around them is doing or what they think they quote unquote should do. It's, it's really going for what's in your heart. That, that's awfully hard to do sometimes. Do you think that
1: the people around us are tougher on us, or is that is it that inside voice, that internal radio that says, oh, you really should be on X, Y, and Z track that
2: gets in our way? You know, it's a pretty close competition, I got to say, <laughs> but I think the the most powerful one is our inner voice, because if if our inner voice says, hell yeah, I can do that, it doesn't really matter what everybody around you is saying. You know, if it's strong enough and loud enough.
1: You say that people sort of hold themselves back with their excuses. I, I love that you focus so much on excuses. Earlier in my career, I wrote a book called Make Money Not Excuses because I saw the same thing that we were holding ourselves back when it came to making money, when it came to getting the right job, when it came to investing. Where do people start on this journey to becoming a badass, to talking less and doing more?
2: By becoming aware of what those excuses are. A lot of times we are so on autopilot that we don't even realize the load of crap we are living our lives believing is the truth. So if your excuse is, you know, the economy sucks, if we're talking about money, economy sucks. I don't know what I'm doing. Money is really hard to make. There are no good jobs out there. If that's what you're constantly telling yourself and constantly thinking, even though you don't realize it, you'll be looking for proof of that all day long. When you start to shift what you say and think, like, you know, opportunities all around me. I know I'm awesome. I received money gratefully and it's everywhere that allows you to open yourself up to a different reality and different opportunities. But you can't do that until you're aware of what the stuff is that you're thinking is to begin with.
1: So when you started first becoming aware, how did you catch yourself? How did you wake up to the fact that this negative feedback was playing in your head all day?
2: Well first I decided to make a change and and I guess I read somewhere that that was the first step. So it really is about making the decision to become aware. And then you know one journaling is a really interesting practice because when you just write stream of consciousness, a lot of stuff shows up on the paper that you didn't even realize you were thinking and it's you know sitting right there staring back at you so it's a really wonderful way to become clear on what it is that you're thinking and believing. For those
1: people who are listening who are not familiar with you the two or three of them cuz everybody is but you you went from living in a garage to making seven figures what was your biggest money breakthrough in that process
2: it was the time that i decided i was going to triple my income in 2 days okay and i had, just stopped <laughs>
1: <laughs> just stop right there. I mean, I I would like to decide that I'm going to triple my income in two days. I think everybody. How do you do that?
2: Okay, wait. I actually just made a mistake. I didn't. I tripled my income in three months. I made. There's so many. Okay, I made a third of my income in two days. Okay. So. Either it, way, let's just it's say it's still pretty good. I mean,
1: either I way some... you talk about it, it's still really <laughs> really good. So, so let's take us through that and break it down as much as you can so that we realize what are the milestones you have to hit in order to do that.
2: So, the first thing I did was I hired a private coach. And at the time, I was living in a garage, I was in debt, I was in my 40s. And I decided that I was no longer available to be broke and that I was going to do whatever it took to get out of my money rut and my money story. And when I met a coach who really resonated with me, I just, I knew I had to hire her and she cost basically one quarter of my annual income at the time. So it was an enormous leap of faith on my part. It was the most terrifying thing I had done up to that point. And, um, and I basically just did every single thing she said, so one of the we got an online business up and running for me where I was coaching writers um trying to think how to say this quickly, but basically, we were working on my money stuff, and she's like, "All right, I want to crack you out of the money reality that you are presently exist, existing in and show you that you could make an insane amount of money very quickly." so we came up with the sum of ten thousand dollars and I decided I was going to do it in two days. She basically gave me a week, but I was like, if I have a whole week, I don't know if I can keep the belief that it's possible. You mm-hmm. know, my frequency high, all that focus, I'll suddenly sort of like die off and be like, oh, well, that didn't work. And if I did it for two days, I could do it. I just, felt that way. So anyway, we created some coaching programs that I could sell. And it was it's sort of a magical story. But this guy came in from my past who I completely forgotten about. And I ended up selling him a $12,000 coaching package. Hadn't talked to him in over a year. Once I made the decision to make the money and started doing everything I knew how to do, he appeared while I was still on the phone with my coach talking about this.
1: Wow. You know, I'm thinking as I'm listening to you that I'm talking to Oprah. And I mean that in the very best way. I did a lot of work with Oprah for many years and I remember launching a program on her show called The Debt Diet. And we, we did an after the show where we took questions from people in the audience and this woman in a red dress stood up and was explaining all of the different reasons that she couldn't embark on the debt diet. And Oprah just looked at her and she said, you're not ready you're not ready because you haven't made the decision that this is something mm. that you want to do. You got to just decide. And that's so right. It, once you decide, I think you can do anything.
2: It's true. And it's almost insulting. I was like, I waited 40 years to get my act together. And honestly, all I had to do is decide to do it. <laughs> I was like, it's it's got to be so much more difficult and cryptic than that. But it's really
1: true. And it's so and true. it probably works for everything. You know, I'm going to decide yeah. that I'm going to find somebody to be in a relationship with. I'm going to decide that I'm going to stop drinking. I'm going to decide that I'm going to run a marathon. I'm going, I mean, really it applies to just about everything. Why wouldn't it apply to making money?
2: it does and the thing that the decision does so a real decision we have to be very clear about what that is a real decision leaves no plan b so when you decide you shift your mindset and this is why the whole my money book is really about your mindset you shift your mindset from looking for reasons why it won't work to what you're going to do to make it work because that's the decision your own there's only forward movement available to you because you've decided. So the new
1: book is called You Are a Badass at Making Money, Master the Mindset of Wealth. And this is, it's about making money. It's not about investing money or saving money or paying down debt. It's really about making money. Correct. All right. So how do you define wealth? How do you know it
2: when you become wealthy? When you have the means to create whatever life you desire. We live in a world where money, you spend money just waking up in the morning without even moving. You're already spending money with the heat in your house or the, the sheets you're sleeping on. Like it's such an integral part of our society. So to wealth really does mean that you've got the means to, for everything you need to do, you pretty much need money. So it's having the money you need to create the life you love. All right. And
1: we, and I know you say it's the mindset, which means that our subconscious gets in the way. But before we dive into our subconscious and we put all our listeners on the couch, um, let me just take a second to remind everyone that her money is brought to you by Fidelity Investments and Fidelity is focused on helping women master their wealth. It's focused on helping us take charge of our financial lives. We all deserve to be a badass with our money. So visit fidelity.com slash it's time, where you'll find more conversations like this one with Jen Sincero, information about how to manage your money during life's biggest events and most challenging times. Again, that's fidelity.com slash it's time. So the subconscious, the subconscious is a problem when it comes to mastering the mindset of wealth, right?
2: Well, it depends who you were raised by. But usually, yes, it's, um, you know, the subconscious mind is running the show. And the subconscious mind is clinging to all of these beliefs that we that we took on when we were little kids, like? So basic um, money's hard to make, you have to do stuff you don't like to make money money is evil, rich people are greedy pigs. So basically, whatever messages your parents passed down to you and the society that you were in passed down to you, they basically get lodged in your little subconscious mind as a child because you haven't developed the ability to have analytical thinking yet. Mm-hmm. So it gets lodged in there and it stays in there as your belief system and as the quote unquote truth. So that's why if we're focusing on it, if we've got subconscious beliefs that it's not okay to make money or that we will never have fun again if we make money, it's like driving with one foot on the gas and one foot on the brake. We're, you know, moving along as adults trying to make it happen, but we're we're stopping ourselves because we think it'll cause us pain.
1: So how do we move beyond it? How do we figure out what we're clinging to? What beliefs that are standing in our way, we are clinging to, because in some cases, I think they're very deeply buried and Absolutely. and move beyond them.
2: Right. So the journaling that I was talking about earlier is a great way, listening to, really listening to what's coming out of your mouth and listening, catching yourselves in your thoughts. Mm-hmm. But I think the most powerful way to unearth the, the subconscious is by Taking great leaps into the unknown, doing stuff that scares the living crap out of you that's in the direction of your dreams. So when I hired that coach, for example, and took out another credit card and put her payment on a credit card and went deeper into debt, man, did all of my biggest fears come, you know, just rising up like a horror movie. (laughs) But But it was the taking action that unearthed some of my deepest ones.
1: So I mean, if we have to do something that scares us and I'm just, I tend to be a little too practical sometimes, but we're trying to do something that scares us. We're trying to make more money and yet we've got a day job and we don't love it. We like it. Maybe sometimes, sometimes we hate it. It pays the bills. We're not becoming wealthy, but we're, we're okay. You know, what do you do with that?
2: Well, you get clear on what would make you really happy and you get clear on how important that is to you on your one and only journey on planet earth as the you that is you. And so you have to get a lot of emotion behind it because we are emotional creatures and figure it out and then figure out how you're going to make that money. I mean, it sounds so no brainer, but it, re- it really is about connecting to the desire to make the money because that is what will help you with make the decision and stay with the decision. So does that mean quitting? It might. It might mean doing the scary thing, asking your boss for a raise. It might mean looking for a promotion in within your company. It might mean a complete overhaul and doing something completely different. It's going to be different for everyone. But the important thing is, is that you get very clear on what it is that lights you up and then you do whatever it takes to go create that.
1: Even if you have to develop your own career plan, right? And think very much outside the company that you're working for. Do side gigs help with this? I mean, do you find side gigs are a good way of gaining that clarity?
2: Absolutely, they can be. If you're not sure on what it is, I think taking action is the best way to find out instead of mulling it over in your brain for the next 20 years. So yeah.
1: And I'm interested in this whole concept of coaching that got you started and you're a coach. Do you, I mean, do you think that people... Should be out there hiring
2: coaches? Do we need another person to keep us accountable? I think if you're not making it happen on your own, absolutely. And I, you know, I was thinking that Olympic athletes have coaches, they're at the top of their game and they still have coaches. So why do I think my Broke ass living in a garage doesn't need one too.
1: (laughs) Yeah. No, I think that's, I think that's right. I mean, I think sometimes just having that other person, and maybe it doesn't even have to be somebody you pay. It can be an accountability buddy, but who reminds you, this is what you said you were going to do. Aren't you going to do it?
2: Is, is really, really helpful. It is. And the other beautiful thing about a coach is they, if they're a good coach, they're sort of beyond where you are right now. So they can see pathways and opportunities for you that you can't see because you are existing in your present reality. You haven't moved into the expansive one yet that you're trying to create. You
1: mentioned being grateful and gratitude earlier in the conversation. Why is that so
2: important? Because what you focus on, you create more of. So as I was saying about you know, when you focus on how broke you are and how bad the economy is, you, you see more of that when you focus on gratitude and all the things that you already have in your life, which is endless that you could be grateful for, as well as all the things that are coming towards you and being grateful for those before they manifest into the physical form in your life, like the money you want to create or the significant other, when you can get into that emotional state, true gratitude is an emotion. So It gets you in, it has you feeling the reality of this new truth that you're hoping to bring in and it opens you up to receive it because we're energetic creatures and it puts you in that energetic that will allow it to be made manifest in your life. Jen Sincero, the new
1: book, You Are a Badass at Making Money, I predict another number one bestseller.
2: I love your prediction. I'm (laughs) grateful for that prediction.
1: (laughs) Thank you for being with us. And thank you for doing this. This is our one-year anniversary show. So we are grateful to have you here.
2: Oh, wow. Congratulations. What an honor.
1: Thank you. I hope you'll come back again. Of course. I'd love to. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So Kelly Hultgren is joining me in the studio. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Yay. <laughs> um, you know, we did this 50-50 giveaway for our 50th show. Mm-hmm. We asked our listeners to share with us why they were listening, essentially. And we got some really, really good feedback. I just pulled a couple of them I wanted to share with you and with everybody else, of course. So Christy, she says she's in her late 20s with a great job. She's binge-listened to every episode of the podcast, and she says it's really changed her life. And she has examples. She's been contributing to a Roth IRA separate from her employer-funded set plan, but she said it was originally basically a savings account. She'd been too afraid to dive into investing the money, but thanks to her money, she feels more empowered. She moved her Roth IRA to a robo-advisor, so she's put the money to work. She's put herself on an honest budget. I love that she says mm-hmm. honest budget because we all know budgets can be dishonest and she uses mint to daily track her spending. Fantastic. Fran at made by Fran tweeted at us. I learn something new every episode with the hashtag her money podcast. I'm more knowledgeable and confident when it comes to dealing with money and Elise. Wrote, hashtag her money is both the cold splash of water in my face to get my finances in order and a warm towel of comfort to walk me through it. I love that. I love that too. I love that. So keep them coming everybody. Thank you for that. I hope you all love the books and thank you to all of our authors and guests who sent them along. So that was, that was fun. We'll have to come up with something even
0: better for the hundredth episode. I agree. Yeah. All right. We've got questions. I have one from Latasha. She wrote us an email. She says, I am writing for some financial advice in regards to refinancing my student loans. I am currently in default. A collection agency has started calling me. I spoke with them, but felt the conversation was a little shady. So I am wondering if I can refinance the loan with another institution to get back on track with someone legitimate. What companies do you suggest to refinance with? What are the best for someone with great, good, or okay credit?
1: So this is going to be a little tough if you're already in default, I believe, but there's no harm in trying. So when you refinance your student loans with a private lender, you're essentially wading into the market where your credit score counts, where it makes a difference, and you may find it not possible to refinance if you don't have decent credit. We know that lenders out there like SoFi, Common Bond, Citizen Bank, those are pretty much the leaders in the marketplace, although you can check magnifymoney.com for a list of all the lenders that are working in this marketplace. We know they look at other things In addition to your credit score, they look at your employment status. They look at where you graduated from college. But they're looking at credit as well. And so you want to make sure that you are not letting your credit score slide. I would go to magnifymoney.com, take a look, see what you can qualify for, and go from there. And understand that... Even if you refi once and you don't get a particularly good interest rate, you may be able to do it again down the road if your credit score improves and get a better interest rate. But don't – especially if these are federal student loans – Don't let them just wither on the vine because federal student lenders, like the IRS, have the ability to garnish your wages. Yes, Kelly's eyes just open to the size of saucers. They have the ability to garnish your wages. And so they're going to get their money. I didn't know that. Yeah. So pick up the phone, call your lender,
0: call your lender. Don't call a collector and work this out. So it's worth for her trying to see if she can get a refinanced rate at all or... Is it going to be a waste of time because the fact that they've gone to collections? Is I don't know. I think you want to. I
1: think you want to try. Okay. I think you want to try. It's possible that her her credit score is better than we think. Mm-hmm. I, I I've never seen she. I don't want you to think I'm not answering your question because you did ask which are the best lenders for good credit, worse credit, and really bad credit, or something to Great, the good or
0: okay. Yeah. yeah,
1: I've never seen it segmented like that. Mm-hmm. I have seen that sort of segmentation for credit cards. So I'm not dodging your. question question, I just think you should go out there and, and sort of survey the marketplace, but also go back to your original lender and see if you can work something out. When we're in trouble making a payment, whether it's a student loan payment, a tax payment, a credit card payment, a mortgage payment, the thing to do is not to try to duck it. They will come after you, and you're much better off just picking the phone up and being proactive with your lender and saying, I'm having trouble, here's why, how can you help me? Lenders would
0: much rather see things not go into collections. They would rather work with you if possible. Good luck, Latasha. Thanks for writing in. Our next is a tweet from Dana Obrist. She asks, with a kid starting kindergarten, I'd love your take on private versus public investment in their future or waste of money. And I think she's referring to private school, public school. So I am
1: a product of public school. I'm a big public school believer. You should know that going in. But I also understand that not all schools serve all children with the same needs. We moved to a district for the schools, which is what a lot of people do when they're shopping for their first home. They, they pick A district where they know the schools will be excellent and they pay a little more for real estate because of that. We made that decision. My son went all the way through public school, but when it came to my daughter, it didn't serve her needs. She had some learning difficulties and we moved her to a private school and I wouldn't have done it any other way. We had The ability to do it, we found a school that was better suited to her. So my answer to this question is not just public, public, public. My answer to this question is look at your child and look at your resources and see where you come out on this. And often you'll find that the public schools, when chosen correctly, are a great way to go, but sometimes the system
0: doesn't work for every kid. Thank you, Jean. And our final question is from Allie. She sent us a message on Facebook. Hi, Jean. I recently found your Her Money podcast, and I love it. Thank you, Allie. I'm accepting a job I'm really excited about for the type of work and team I will work with. I'm concerned, however, about the pension plan. It's with the school district with a history of financial troubles, and a recent reporting indicates that the new hires in this system will net less in pensions than what they put in. My husband also works for a school district and has similar concerns. We're in our early 30s. How would you suggest investing money for our retirement? if our employer pensions may not be the best return for our money. I
1: think you should approach this, Allie, in very much the same way that people are approaching Social Security these days. And that's that we know by the year 2037, Social Security, if nothing is done, will start to run low and only be able to meet about 75% of its obligations, which doesn't mean that people won't get paid. It just means they won't get paid as much. I would look at What's happening in your district and ask yourself, what's the gap? What's the shortfall here? And if you understand that a shortfall really does exist, I would structure my budget so that I could put aside a little bit more, perhaps into a Roth IRA for my future. Invest that on the side. Try to make sure that you're balancing the portfolio as a whole to make up for what they are or are not doing in that pension fund. But I would essentially find a target date fund based on your age and just put the money there and contribute something regularly. I would also encourage you and your husband to ask a lot of questions. It sounds like you think that the pension fund may run short, it's okay for you to go in and ask questions to figure out what the real deal is so that you can do the sort of planning that you need to do for your future. And by the way, your colleagues should be wondering exactly the same thing. So I would make sure that I I know what the lay of the land truly is, and your school system absolutely owes you that. Great. Thank you, Jean. Thank you, and thanks so much for your questions.
0: Just a reminder, where can people reach us? We are on Twitter, Facebook, jeanchatsky.com. I'll also throw in LinkedIn and Instagram, pretty much all forms of social media.
1: People can ask us a question on Instagram? Yeah, absolutely. I look at the comment section.
0: Wow. Well, and Hayden, too. Hayden looks at the comment sections as well. We, we We troll all media to look for your questions, so that is the best way.
1: Excellent. All right. Thank you. So in case you missed it, the Federal Reserve raised interest rates for the third time, just the third time since the financial crisis. That means that paying off any high interest rate credit card debt that you're carrying, since most credit card debt is variable rate debt, it's going to become even more expensive. And trying to pay off those bills in full will become even more important so that you're not paying more in interest. Another way, though, to make sure that you're not paying more in interest could be as simple as asking for less of it. That's the focus of today's Thrive segment. A new report from CreditCards.com shows that 69% of credit card holders who asked for a lower interest rate received a lower interest rate, and yet the same study shows that only about 25% of card holders Ask. The same goes to asking for a reduction in late fees. This happens to everybody. The bill gets shuffled in with the newspapers or the calendar reminder gets snoozed and before you know it, you are getting charged with a late fee for an overdue credit card bill. Once you pay the bill, try asking the issuer to waive the fee asking works. It worked for 87% of people who picked up the phone and asked. Your card's annual fees and credit line increases, they are negotiable as well. Now, you should know not everybody gets the green light. Your payment history and your credit... (laughs) affect the likelihood that you will get a yes here. Also, your income and your age. Higher income households are more likely to receive lower interest rates and late fee waivers, and the older you are, this is good news, the older you are, the more likely you'll get what you're asking for. Either way, the numbers here are really good. 7 out of 10 people who asked for a lower interest rate – got a lower interest rate. So just pick up the phone. Thanks so much for joining me today here on Her Money on our birthday. Thank you to Jen Sincero for a terrific conversation. Thank you to the whole Her Money team as well. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our show at iTunes. Leave us a review. We want to know what you think. Of course, we want to thank our sponsor, Fidelity. Our music is provided by Track Tribe. Our show comes to you through PRX. And join us next time when we will have a special mailbag edition of Her Money. Kelly and I will answer many of your questions. We'll talk soon.